This morning we're uh, picking up the uh, second in our series, The Real Deal. We're working through the book of James. Last week we uh, painted the big picture. What's James all about? What are the big themes of James? This morning we're going to start to build on some of the de- uh, build some detail on uh, uh, the background that we uh, talked through last week. And so we're going to read uh, together from James chapter 1. We're going to read a number of verses. They'll come behind me on the... Uh, the screen, and I'm going to read to you from the New International Version. This is what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Boy, as an opening line to uh, a letter, it takes some beating for shock value, doesn't it? Consider it pure joy. As we said last week, James is writing to uh, people who have been scattered as a result of persecution for being followers of Jesus. They knew all about trials. They understood what trials were all about. And for those of us who haven't realized yet, life has plenty of of trouble. I know some of us have experienced that firsthand. Some of us are going through it right at this moment. Annie and I were talking yesterday yesterday about a friend who uh, all her life seems to have had difficulties and troubles. Operation after operation after operation. And now this week is facing another serious operation life-threatening operation and uh, Annie was telling me about it and said she said when I heard I just wept just what this girl's going through early 40s operation after operation just seems to be going through it consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds 
James's first chapter could really be entitled, Look Out, Here Comes Trouble. He doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, whenever you face trials. Trials are joy? Really? Actually, it's the message through the New Testament. That's what the New Testament says. When the disciples were being flogged for being followers of Jesus, we're told in Acts chapter 5, they rejoiced. They're being flogged and they rejoice. Extraordinary. When Paul and Silas are clamped in chains in a dingy cell in Philippi for their faith, they don't moan about the injustice or have a pity party. We read in Acts chapter 16 that they pray and they worship God. They're singing hymns to God whilst they're in prison at midnight. Paul sums up this attitude in a letter to the Corinthians. In the letter we know as 2 Corinthians, it says this, he says this, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. He says this later, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Earlier in the letter in chapter 6, he says this. I read this this morning. Sorrowful. I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I mean, it's an oxymoron. Surely it doesn't make any sense. It's a square circle. What, what are you talking about? How can you talk about being sorrowful yet always rejoicing? And yet Paul says it's a reality. James tells us that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. And the truth is, throughout history, believers, followers of Jesus in some of the most terrible situations have exhibited similar joy. Fox's Book of Martyrs talks of, in 1886, 32 Ugandans being burned to death for their faith. They died singing and praying for those responsible. The impact caused those who were watching, many of them turned to Christ as a result of what they saw happen in front of them. And today, here, amongst us, I know there are people who are exhibiting joy in the most difficult of circumstances. Artie Kendall calls this sparkling Christianity. It's no grin and bear it mentality. It's not foolishly laughing at difficult circumstances. It's the result of a transformed heart and mind. When James says consider, consider it pure joy, consider means to come to a careful and settled conclusion. Henri Nuon says this, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found God in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war or even death can take that love away. James is reminding us of an Old Testament verse in Nehemiah chapter 8. He's reminding us that the joy of the Lord really can be our strength. Whatever's happening in your life at the moment, 
the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Trials are pressures. They're the result of conflict, persecution. They're the pressure and griefs of everyday life that we all are going to experience if we haven't experienced them yet. However, the word that James uses, it, it, has, it, can, mean, so it can mean two things. It can mean trials or it can mean temptations. Or it can mean both at the same time. I mean, it's a bit like the word duck, okay? If you go into a restaurant and someone says duck, you say, oh yes, I'll have that. I'll have it with plum sauce or orange sauce or whatever. If you're out with someone and uh, they're out in a, uh, uh, in a field somewhere and they shout out duck, you don't go, oh, uh, is that a sandwich or is that a baguette? You put your head down, don't you? Because the circumstances tell you exactly what the meaning is. It's about context. Later in James, in, in, in verse 13, the word that he uses, it's the same word, but it implies temptation. Actually, it can be a trial, circumstances from outside pressing in, or it can be a temptation, something welling up, stirring in our hearts. And sometimes what stirs up in our hearts uh, that becomes a temptation to think something or do something is a result of pressure from the outside. And so it all gets mixed up. The question is, how do we respond when we face trouble? How do we respond? Do we throw our toys out of the pram? Do we look for someone to blame? And if we look for someone to blame, it's usually God that gets the blame, isn't it? I've noticed over the years, people very quickly blame God when things don't work out. James says, consider it pure joy. But how do we do that? Well, James gives us some keys. And here's the first key. The first key is this. It's the purpose of trials. He wants us, he's saying we need to know the purpose of trials. It's a bit like uh, we've got a, a, a few people here who are structural engineers. What's good about a structural engineer, they test things to make sure they work. So if we build the, a bridge, imagine the seven bridge when they built the, the seven crossing uh, uh, and they build it and they say, well, is it going to stand up? Well, we don't know, but you just drive across and we'll find out. You're not going to go across, are you? You want, it to, you want to know that it's been stress tested. You want to know that someone's worked out that this is going to stand up under pressure. It needs to be tested. The purpose of trials is to test our faith to show it's genuine. This is what Peter says. Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 6 to 7 so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead even though it's necessary for you to endure many trials for a while many trials for a while these trials are only to test your faith to show that it is strong and pure it has been tested as fire tests and purifies gold and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold Trials have a purpose. And the key is that we need to respond to them in the right way. You see, God uses trials. The purpose that God uses trials, he uses trials and allows trials so that we can pass the test. 
God wants us to pass the test. The devil uses temptation to cause us to fail and give in and and walk away. The purpose of trials, as far as God's concerned, is that we pass the test and our faith is proved genuine. Persevering under trial eventually leads to us becoming mature and complete, James says, lacking nothing. You see, the word for testing that James uses, it, they used to, it was a common word in the day, they used to use it for refining gold and silver. And so when you, they, they took uh, uh, gold, a, a lump of gold ore, you would put it under heat. And you put it in, uh, you'd uh, put it under intense heat and the gold would melt. It would melt. And as you melted the gold, the metal, what would happen is the impurities that you couldn't see in the metal would rise to the surface. And what would happen is the person doing the smelting, they would take off the top all the impurities, the, the slag, get it all out. And so what you would be left with would be pure gold. And the purpose and the person doing the test, they knew it was pure gold because when it had cooled down, you could see your face in it. That was one of the tests. That's proved that it was, it'd been purified, it'd been refined. God allows the heat to come on because he wants to cause the impurities that are in our heart that we don't see to rise to the surface so that he can take them out because he wants to, people to look at us and for them to see the image of Christ in us. The thing is, we don't see the impurities. We don't see it. We don't, uh, we don't spot those things. We, don't, we say, I... I I'm okay with it. I'm cool with money. Things are okay. I, I, I handle money well. Well, James talks about money a little later on, about being wealthy. The thing is, when you're in poverty, suddenly you find out what you really think about money. And the heat comes on, and what you find is, oh, oh, I didn't think that was in my heart. You suddenly see something that you didn't realize was there because the trial draws it out and you suddenly find yourself and you're looking and you're thinking, wow, they've got a nice car. Wow, they're going on a nice holiday. Oh, they can do that. Oh, that's nice for them, isn't it? And suddenly we become jealous and we suddenly see things in us that we didn't see before. When pressure comes on, what comes out of our heart surprises us. There are moments when I say, I'm, I'm trusting God, I'm believing God for this. God, it's really cool. I, and then the pressure comes on. And it all goes wrong and it all looks like it's going south. And what comes out of my heart is, suddenly I find panic and anxiety. And, oh, I didn't think that was there. You see, God isn't surprised. God knew it all the time. God sees what's in your heart. He sees your heart. God is a God who looks into our hearts. And his desire is that we are made more, created more in the image of Christ. He wants to transform us daily to be more like Jesus. And so the, the heat comes, the pressure, the trial comes to test our faith so that he can bring stuff to the surface. And you go, oh, God, help me deal with this. And God wants to take it away and deal with it. It's a beautiful picture of what God is doing with us in the midst of trials. There is a purpose to trials. You see, we were all made in the image of God. And yet, 
That image has been marred by our rebellion. It's been spoiled by our living independently of God. And so there's stuff buried deep down. Sometimes it's a result of how, we, uh, how we've been brought up, the environment we grew up in. But there's, the Bible talks about us being, we're born within a, a bias towards what the Bible calls sin, rebellion, doing our own thing, living without reference to God. Deep down there's this bias and and when we come to Christ and we put our trust in Jesus, we ask for forgiveness for all we've done wrong and he deals with. Actually, the process starts, the refining process starts and I tell you what, it goes on and on and on until the day we die. God is making us and transforming us into the image of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I want to tell you it's the I tell you, it's the most exciting and wonderful thing because it's because God loves us that he does it. And God wants you to, wants to transform your life for the better. He wants to turn your life around. And so if you don't know Jesus, you can take that step of coming to know him today or you can come and join us on the Alpha course that starts on Tuesday. Sign up this morning. Because you were created in the image of God and it's been spoiled and God wants to put it right. There's a purpose for trials. Secondly, there's, we need a pers- good, a, a God, James says we need a perspective, a godly perspective on trials. There's a story I heard uh, many years ago. An airline pilot is flying over the southeast of the United States and he calls into the local uh, uh, tower at the local airport and he says, we're passing over at 35,000 feet. Can you give us a time check? And uh, this is what the voice from the tower says. What airline are you? And the, the pilot says, well, what do you mean? What, what difference does it make? Just, just give me a time check. And the voice comes back, well it, well, it makes a lot of difference. If you're BA, you're Virgin, it's 1,600 hours. If you're United or Delta, it's 4 o'clock. If you're Southern Airways, the little hand is on the 4 and the big hand is on the 12. And if you're Hawaiian Airlines, it's happy hour. (laughs) Perspective is everything. Perspective is everything when we're facing the big why questions that life throws at us. You see, people say they don't believe in God, but they have a tendency when things go wrong to blame God. I, I find that astounding. In Proverbs chapter 19 in the New New Living Translation, it says this. People ruin their lives by their own stupidity. So why does God always get blamed? It's a great, great translation. I love that translation. Why does God always get blamed? And the argument goes like this. If God is a God of love, how could he allow that to happen to me? Actually, the Bible paints a really different picture. God loves all of us. He loves all men and women. But there is a devil who hates the human race. He's determined to do- destroy people's lives and to stop people coming to know God. He wants those who follow Jesus to stumble and fall. And so we see this uh, battle unfold. It's a battle that God is going to win because God wins. That's the message of the Bible. God wins. And the devil is, is actually not an equal and opposite foe. He's a, already a defeated foe, but he causes mayhem in the world around us. 
And he's always looking to damage and ruin lives. He loves nothing more than doing that. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see uh, little moments. We get glimpses of that. And we see a guy called Job. And Job is uh, uh, he's someone who loves God. And, Job, uh, and God says, look at my servant Job. Is there anyone like him? And the devil is, is saying, well, he only serves you. He only follows you because everything good happens to him. You protect his life. And God says, well, I'm going to allow you to test him. But I want to tell you, he's going to come through the test. And so the devil causes all sorts of stuff to go on in his life. And Job, in the midst of terrible stuff happening, he says, naked I came out of my mother's womb, naked I'll return, blessed is the name of the Lord. And all that happened, Job didn't dishonor God. We see the fact, Job didn't see it. The point of the story is Job didn't see it. We look back and we see it. We don't see why stuff is happening to us. Why is this happening? Well, we don't see that. But there will be a day when we'll look back and we'll go, all right, okay. I'm so glad I trusted God in the midst of that. There's a perspective. Having a right perspective isn't easy. We have lots of questions. And James says, if you've got lots of questions, ask God for wisdom. He's talking about trials. He says, if you If you've got questions, ask God. Ask him for wisdom. He's a God who uh, gives answers those who humbly come to him. But actually, what you need to understand is God's wisdom isn't like human wisdom. His answers aren't the answers that we're expecting. We want to know the why that makes sense in this world. God sees things from a very different perspective. And actually, God's wisdom always takes us back to trusting Him, whatever's going on. God's wisdom always takes us back to trusting Him. And actually, what we find is that actually the whys become less important when we find that God is near us and with us in the midst of all that we're going through. You see, if we have God's perspective, we can view... uh, 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 we can be joyful and view things from, through a new lens. So we can view poverty through a new lens. We can Actually, when we have nothing, we can, we can see things differently. Actually, I have a God in heaven, a Father in heaven who loves me, as we were singing about this morning, who has brought me into his family. I am a son or a daughter of the living God. I have a relationship with God. He loves me. The riches of heaven are mine because God is my Father. We heard this morning that God gives good gifts to his children. So in the midst of not having anything materially, we can go, oh, God, you are enough for me. In the midst of riches, when we have plenty, we view things through a different lens. We view things different. We go, actually, the money of this world, it counts for nothing. Actually, the Bible says that I can't serve both God and money. I'm blessed with what you've given me, but it doesn't really matter. The real treasure is Christ. Matthew talks about him as being the treasure in the field that's worth giving up everything for. We view things differently. There is a different perspective. The third thing is that we're to persevere under trial. See, perseverance is the ability to endure difficulties and still trust God. Perseverance, we're told, must finish its work. It's like a muscle that works against resistance. I mean, 
You said, look at, look at those gums. I mean, look at them. I mean, they've been working, you can tell, against resistance, haven't they? Really impressive. Chicken wings, bingo wings. But a muscle is strengthened as it works against something, as it pushes against something. Trials, however difficult, are an opportunity to prove God. They're an opportunity to prove that God is faithful. So when someone says something about you that isn't true, do we rush to defend ourselves? There's something more important than our personal pride. It's our growth. It's becoming more like Jesus. And when Jesus, when people said things about Jesus that weren't true, he didn't defend himself. He allowed God to defend him. He wasn't bothered about what people said about him when he was falsely accused. And as we look to him, we start to say, actually, it doesn't matter what other people think about me. And we persevere, we press through, we press on because he pressed on for us. Maybe this morning you're facing what feels like an insurmountable obstacle. Maybe trouble has come on us. Maybe we're facing a huge bill. Maybe it's an operation. The girl I was referring to earlier, she's facing an operation this week. Serious operation. Maybe you're in the midst of illness or a bereavement. Maybe it's someone you're close to. Maybe there are relational difficulties, loneliness, disappointment. Maybe it's a big problem at home, school, university, work. And we just can't see how are we going to get through. How is this going to turn out? And we feel like giving up. What's the point of following God if he doesn't show up for me? In the midst of these moments, let me encourage you to persevere and be like Job, who in the midst of it all was able to say, I trust you. I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. Ask God for wisdom. Expect him to speak to you. He's not going to give you the answer. You're not going to be in the middle of a, like at a, a mass exam and suddenly God tells you the answer to the question. It's not like that. God's wisdom, what God's wisdom does, it reveals his presence and it reveals that he is more than enough for us in the midst of what's going on. And suddenly, in that moment... In that moment, as everything else seems to be going wrong, suddenly, deep down within, you find a confidence starting to rise inside. The God of heaven loves me. The God of heaven is with me. The God who created the heavens and the earth is next to me. He's my counselor. He's my friend. He's the one that's drawn alongside me. And suddenly, in the midst of the sorrow, a joy, a deep joy starts to rise in our soul. God is with me if God's with me who can stand against me doesn't matter what the circumstances say I'm going to trust in God Paul says this temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful he will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it when you are tempted he'll show you a way out that you will not give it, it 
into it. See, the issue is the devil wants, when the trial comes, God wants you to pass the test. The devil wants you to fail it. He wants you to go, I'll give in. It's a waste of time, this God stuff. He doesn't show up for you. He doesn't really love you. He doesn't care about you. God says, don't give in to temptation. Don't give in. God doesn't tempt you to give in like that. God wants you to pass it because the trial is so that you will become more like his son, Jesus. And so God says, don't give in. There's uh, Bill Hybels, who's a leader of a church in, in Chicago. And uh, Bill Hybels tells a story of a, a, a leader who texted him, a leader of another church texted him. And, and the leader texted him and said, Bill, he said, uh, this is going on at the moment. Give me one reason why I shouldn't give up. Give me one reason why I shouldn't give up. And Bill Hybels texted back this. This is all he said. He didn't give up for you. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for us, for you and for me. To open up a way for us to have a relationship with his father. When he went to the cross and he's suffering the consequences of our wrongdoing, our rebellion. As he's going to the cross, the temptation is, actually, you don't have to go through with this. And actually, he knows what we're like. He knows how flawed we are and how many times we fail and how many times we give in. And the temptation, well, is it worth it? He pressed through for you. He didn't hold back for you. And God says, come on, keep going. Press on. I'm with you. I will not let you go. We need to persevere. Finally, we need to remember that there's a prize after passing the trial. You see, James talks about us receiving the crown of life. And it seems he's referring to winners of uh, an athletic con- uh, uh, contest. And, and what happened? They were given a wreath when they won. That was their prize. James is saying there is a crown of life that is coming. This life is not all there is. There is a day when each one of us will pass out of this world and we will pass into the presence of Jesus, those of us who love God. And I want to say to you, it's worth it. It's worth pressing through for the crown of life. The crown of life is an eternal life in his presence that goes on and on and on. Eternal joy. The sorrows of this world are worth, they pass away. They'll be long gone. We will be in his presence forever. It will be worth it. There is a prize for passing the trial of life. And it's not unspiritual to focus on the reward. There is a reward. There's a reward in the life to come, but there's also a reward in this life. God blesses us. We heard this morning, didn't we? We heard Vicky's testimony about how God saw beyond what was in her heart and he gave her the deepest desires of her heart that she was even afraid to ask for. I know what she was talking about. I saw her emails on it or uh, pictures and whatever, what God did. It was an extraordinary moment. It meant so much to her. 
God is like that. He is a good father. He loves us. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, why would he allow those sort of things to happen? The Bible says that God is a father that loves us so much he disciplines us. He wants to shape our lives. He sees what's in your heart. He sees it. And he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay like that. How loving is that? Trials seem painful at the time, but there's a moment we look back and we go, oh, I'm so glad you did it because I didn't see that was there. There are moments when the pressure comes on and I see something in my heart that is truly horrid. I didn't think it was there. If you'd said to me, are you like that? I would have said no. And then when the pressure comes on, I see stuff come out of my heart that makes me go, oh, that's, oh, God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you love me that much, that you're willing to change me, that you haven't given up on me. I would give up on myself. God never gives up on us. Never gives up. There's a reward for those who in the face of all the trials and temptations that are thrown at them don't give in. But with sparkling joy, persevere and love and serve God with all their hearts. There is a purpose to trials. There is a purpose. God does want to change us. He loves us so much. He loves you so much. He wants to change you. However tough it may feel, in it there's an opportunity to trust God. However tough it is. And I tell you, I, I don't belittle it. I have watched people demonstrate this sparkling Christianity. And there's some of you here, and I, I want to tell you, I'm so proud to know you. I've watched you sparkle in the midst of rubbish. There's a purpose. There's a right perspective. There's a right perspective to this. And we need to start looking at things from a different perspective, not our own perspective. Interestingly, James doesn't talk about uh, the devil trying to catch us out, like fishing with a fishing rod, throwing the bait out, trying to reel us in and drag us off. He doesn't use that. He doesn't talk about the devil at all because actually he doesn't want to deflect us from taking personal responsibility. One of our great things is we love to blame other people. We love to blame our history. We love to blame this, that, and the other. James says, it's our heart and we're responsible for it. And so we need a right perspective on trials. God wants to change us, wants to transform us. And so we persevere, we endure, we press on because he's worth it. Christ is worth it. And there is a prize after passing the trial. I'm going to finish with this scripture. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and join me on stage. I'm going to read this. Some verses from Peter. And we're going to respond to God. And this is how we're going to respond to God. We're going to, we're going to break bread. We're going to come and remember Jesus. And this morning, maybe if you're going through a trial... You're going through tough situations, maybe temptation. Who knows? I don't know what exactly what's going on in your lives. We're going to come and we're going to take bread. We're going to remember Jesus' body broken for us. We're going to take this, juice this wine. We're going to remember Jesus' blood shed for us. He pressed through for you that you might know 
arms of a loving God around you in the midst of all that's going on. And if you're not going through trials and troubles, actually this is a moment to thank God for all the good things he's doing in your life. And to say, God, when I do go through the trials, I want to keep my eyes on you. I want to refocus. Let me just read this. If you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls.